Well, welcome to the Crossing. So good to see you today. Hope you're doing well. And I want to welcome those who are watching online right now. You may not know this, but we have five to 600 people who watch online with us every single Sunday. And so it's a great community who's involved. And, and that option is open to you for the weekends that you can't be here either. So let's go ahead and get this out of the way. So who's going for the Denver Broncos today? Okay. How about the Carolina Panthers? How many of you could care less about either team when you're waiting for baseball to start? Okay. Well, for me, I'm kind of going with the old guy's rules, so I guess I'm waiting for Peyton to just do one more, go out in a blaze of glory, so we'll see if that happens or not. Well, at the beginning of every year, there's an article that comes out with these new words that have been added to the dictionary. I mean, there are words that did not exist before, but they've been added. And whenever I read this article, I try to guess what the meaning of the word is before I see the definition. So I'm going to show you these words that have been added to a dictionary. Now, I'm not saying they've been added to an academically accepted dictionary. This is just a dictionary. And maybe this is something you can work into your vocabulary. Here's the first one. Phonesia. Phonesia. Now, when I saw that, I thought, well, maybe that's forgetting where you place your cell phone. But here's the actual definition. The act of dialing a phone number and forgetting whom you were calling just as they answer. (laughs) Phonesia. So the next time you call somebody and you forget and you go, who is this? And they're like, well, you called me. I'm sorry, I'm just having a case of phonesia. Phonesia. Okay, second one, disconfect. Okay, think Halloween candy on this one. This is a verb that means... To attempt to sterilize the piece of candy you dropped on the floor by blowing on it. So you just teach your kids, okay, we've got to disconfect the candy because we dropped it. Okay, here's this one. Blame storming. Now this happens in a corporate setting. Now you know the meaning of brainstorming. But blame storming means this. Sitting in a group and discussing who's responsible for the company's problems rather than trying to solve them. That is blame storming. And some of you work with some people who are masters at blame storming. Well, here's the last one. Intoxication. Intoxication is the euphoria of getting a tax refund, which lasts only until you realize that it was your money to begin with. Intoxication. Well, here are these new words with these new meanings, but when it comes to familiar words with familiar meanings, sometimes we just let them go by. We do not totally grasp the significance of these words. Well, I want to show you a word that I want you to approach again like you've never seen it before. It's this word grace. What if you could begin to embrace this word and this concept in your life like you have never seen it before. Well, today we start a series we're calling Messy Grace. And over the next few weeks, we're going to walk through one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible, Romans chapter 8. And this chapter contains some of the greatest promises for every believer in Christ, for, for all of us who call Jesus our Lord and our Savior. And the foundation of everything that we're going to be talking about is the grace of God. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. 
See to it that no one misses the grace of God because when God's grace is missed, it gets replaced with a cheap substitute. If you don't realize that you have a sin problem, then grace is not going to have much meaning for you in your life. See, I think to fully understand the concept of grace, we have to understand what happens in the absence of grace. Do you know what we call talking to God and leaving out grace? It's called religion. That's what religion is. When Jesus came into the world, he did not come to bring us a new form of religion. A lot of people think that's what he came to do. They think that's what Christianity is, that Jesus came to bring us a new form of religion. That's not what he came to do. He came to bring us a vastly different relationship with God. So to to summarize religion, I'm just going to help you summarize religion in general. This is what religion is. You ought to, you don't, you're toast. Now, this is not a theological definition. This is just the Shane definition, that you ought to. But you don't, so you're toast. And, you know, just pick any religion, any religion, and they will say to you, well, you ought to, and you have really good intentions because you want to do the right thing. You want to follow God, but you just mess up. You keep falling into these mistakes that you've had time and time again, and then they say, well, you're in trouble. You're you're on the outside. Religion is what you're left with when you take grace out of the equation. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Because God does not approach us with a you ought to, you don't, so you're in trouble. God does not approach us like that. God approaches us with an entirely different relationship. Here's how Romans 8 verse 1 starts out. It says, therefore, now I, I just need to stop right here. Because anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to ask, What is it there for? And the reason that it is there is because of what the Apostle Paul has said in chapter 7. And so I want to just turn back and I want to read a few verses to you out of Romans chapter 7 because this will help us understand what we're about to read. In Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 15, the Apostle Paul, he writes this. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Haven't you felt like this before? I mean, the things that that you want to do, you don't do. And the things that you hate, that you want to stay away from, those are the things that you keep doing again in your life. Now, this this is not the experience of a pagan. This is the experience of a religious person. I know what I ought to do. I don't do it. I feel guilty. I know what I ought to do. I don't do it. I feel guilty. And then religion comes along and religion says, I'll give you more rules to follow. If you'll just say three of these, if you'll just do a few of those, then you'll be good. And every time you fall short, religion gives you more things that you have to do. Well, he goes on in in verse 16. He says, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. See, Paul is saying, he's saying, I'm not saying that the rules are bad. I just can't keep them. Say, I think that everybody should treat people better than yourself. I just don't do it. Yeah, I don't think that anybody should lust after someone who they're not married to. We just have a problem with that. I, I know that I shouldn't lose my temper, but I just do. Paul's saying, I know the law. 
I know the law. I think the laws are good. I just don't do it consistently. Welcome to religion. Because this is what religion does. And then he says here in verse 24, what a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. At some point, every one of us have thought that. Because when you come face to face with your sin, you look at yourself and you go, how could I do this? How could I walk back into this stuff? What a wretched man I am. What a wretched parent I am. What a wretched spring breaker I am. We all know the things that we ought to do, and we don't do it. And this is the trap of religion. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from the body that is subject to death? And Paul asked the right question here. He doesn't ask the what question, because the what question is, what can I do to make it up to God? What can I do to, to pay God back? What can I do to be a better person? The right question is not what, it is who. Paul says, who will rescue me? And this next verse is huge. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Paul wants everyone to know that there is a difference between following Jesus and living under the law. And as long as you approach Christianity as a set of rules that you can never live up to, then you will never experience the freedom and the grace that God has for us. Now, with that in mind, with that in mind, now let's go back to chapter 8. And now let's read chapter 8. Verse 1, he says, therefore, because of all of this stuff that we just talked about, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those we're in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus has rescued us, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This Greek word that's translated condemnation, it's a legal term. It's a legal term that means that you have been tried, you've been found guilty, and you're condemned. That you've been put on trial because whatever you've done wrong, that you've been, you've been convicted and you're condemned. And he says when you are in Christ, no matter your religious background or what you've done, how far you've gone, what kind of rules or laws that you've broken, that once you are connected with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior from God's perspective, you are no longer condemned. He goes on here in verse 2, and he writes this. He says, because, be, he's going to give us the reason that there's no condemnation, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. He says that there's two laws that are going on here. There's two laws. He says there's what he calls the law of the Spirit who gives life. And there's the law of sin and death. Now, every one of us know the law of sin and death. That when you sin, something dies. When you sin, something dies. That when you harm somebody with your words or your deeds, the relationship is wounded. And we could tell stories in here of the relationships that we have killed because of the things that we have said or the things that we have done, the harm that we have done. That when you sin, something dies. Because sin always results in death. That is where it takes us. But Paul says that through Christ, a new law takes over. And he calls it the law of the Spirit who gives life. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. That when you're a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus comes and lives in you. We're going to talk more about that next week. 
And this new law, the law of Christ, it brings freedom from all the sins that have controlled you, from all whatever that sin is in your life that controls you. Paul says that we have freedom from that. That doesn't mean that the law of sin and death go away. It means that the law of the Spirit supersedes anything that has a hold on us. He goes on here in verse 3, and he writes this. He says, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. What the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. In the Old Testament, there were 613 different laws for the Jewish people. 613 different ones. Do you know what the law was good for? The law was good for you're bad, you're bad, fail, fail, fail. Well, you had a good week. Well, not so much this week. You're bad. You failed again. The law was only good to give a grade. And the grade that you always get is fail because you can never keep up to it. The law can't help you become a better law keeper. The law can't help you be a better person. It is a mirror of how sinful you are. It is a mirror of all of your, all of your faults. So a question here, how many of you have ever got a speeding ticket before? Wow, a lot of lawbreakers in here. Holy cow. I didn't realize I was in the company of so many lawbreakers. But when you get a ticket, the law condemns you. Because the law says it's 55 miles an hour, you were going 75. And so the law condemns you. That's what the law does. Because it, it puts you beside what the law is. And so it condemns you. And all the law, what the law was powerless to do, Paul says, but God did. What the law was powerless to do, God did, and he did it not by sending an easier set of rules. He did it by sending Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins. And it says this, and so he condemned sin. He didn't condemn you. He didn't condemn me. God condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What is the righteous requirement of the law? The righteous requirement of the law is that there is a penalty for sin that somebody has to pay. That's the righteous requirement of the law. And God sent the law to show us that we couldn't measure up to the standard. That we couldn't keep 613 laws. We can't even keep the Ten Commandments. And we can't even do that. The goal all along was not for you to keep the law. The goal all along is so that you knew that you would need grace, that you don't get right with God because you're a good religious person. You get right with God because of what Jesus has done. And he says, because of that, that we live this different kind of life, not according to the flesh. See, being a Christian, it's not a free pass to do whatever you want, to say whatever you want, to sleep whatever you, with whoever you want. We're saved by grace, but that doesn't mean we keep living in sin of our past. He says a couple chapters before this, in Romans chapter 6, he says this. He says, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. He says, just because you're saved by grace, do we just keep sinning because we know we're saved by grace and we have grace to cover us? He goes, no, because you're called to live a different kind of life. Here's what Paul wants us to know. Here's what Paul wants us to know, is that grace is greater than religion. 
that grace is greater than religion. Religion condemns you. You ought to. You don't. You're in trouble. And grace sets you free. I have a chart here that I think will, will help us out. This chart just shows us the difference between religion and what grace does for us. See, here's the key word for religion. The key word for religion is do. I talked about this a few weeks ago. That if you do enough, if you earn enough, if you work hard enough, maybe you'll be acceptable. Well, the key word for grace is done. You don't have to do anything. It is what has been done for you. Well, the focus of religion, the focus of religion is outward. It is so everybody kind of looks at you and thinks that, you know, you're this good religious person. Jesus talked to the religious elite of his day, and he says, you praise God with your lips, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. Well, the focus of grace, it is inward. It is the heart. Transformation happens in your heart. It's from the inside out. The foundation of religion is rules. It is rules. What often happens in religion is we come up with new rules. You want to know what we call that? It's called legalism. That we will give you rules that aren't even in the Bible that you have to follow. Well, the foundation of grace is relationship. That means that you have a relationship with God that's not in jeopardy of when you mess up and when you sin. The motivation for religion is shame. See, we, we approach it because somebody has put this shame on us or they try to control us with shame. The motivation of grace is gratitude. The reason we do what we do is we're grateful for what God has done for us. That's the motivation. The feelings of religion is fear and frustration. See, there's this fear of condemnation, this fear of what if I don't get it right, this fear of what if I'm going to go to hell. It is all of this fear, or it's the frustration that I can't do enough. I haven't done enough to be right with God. Well, the feeling of grace is freedom. It is freedom. For some of you, you are finally beginning to realize what it feels like to be free in Jesus Christ. It changes everything. The outcome of religion is pride or guilt. See, you're either very proud and self-righteous because you've kept all the rules or you feel guilty because you don't keep the rules. Well, the outcome of grace, it is love. The Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. That, that our basis with God is on love. This is the difference between religion and grace. We see this over and over in the life of Jesus. When you see the life of Jesus and how Jesus approached different people, you see what he leads with. He always leads with grace. The religious leader who comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night because he doesn't want anybody to know that he's coming to Jesus because he's a Pharisee. Jesus tells him, John chapter 3, he says, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Jesus says, I came to the world to save the world. The woman who's been married five times, and now she's living with a man that she's not married to. Jesus says to her, Jesus says, I want to give you living water. He says, you've come to get water where you're going to thirst again. He says, what I offer, I offer living water. Jesus encounters a notorious thief by the name of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus when Jesus has this, approach, this encounter with him, Jesus says, we're going to have dinner together. 
We're going to go to your house. We're going to have dinner. See, religion condemns, but grace sets you free. So here's, here's your homework for this week. Is I want you to read Romans chapter 8. I want you to read through Romans chapter 8 because we're going to get a hold of this scripture and apply it to our lives. But here's the big principle for today because I was wrestling with this whole idea of what is the one idea that I want to leave you with. And it's just this. It's just Romans 8.1. It is therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want us to say this out loud together. Let's say this together. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's say this again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This right here, this is not a promise for everyone. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is not a promise for everyone. See, we love those words. We love those words of there is no condemnation. But this is not a blanket promise for everyone. It is only for those who are in Christ Jesus. And to be honest with you, I talk to a lot of people who would much rather embrace religion because they have a set of rules that they can kind of measure against. Because they want these rules to, to dictate their life. And the problem is they can never be successful. I talk to people every Sunday who just want to, they want to measure their life by a set of rules rather than this relationship with Jesus. See, the no condemnation promise is only for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, the Christian life is different. When you're in Christ Jesus, it allows you to say no to sin, to be able to say to sin, you are no longer my master. You're not going to master my life anymore because the Holy Spirit is in you. When you are in Christ, Christ is in you. It's the power of sin has been broken. We do baptisms all the time here at the crossing. Easter is just a few weeks away. We're about six weeks away from Easter. And on Easter Sunday out in the, in the courtyard, we'll have probably a couple hundred people who'll be baptized. But the baptisms that you see week, that every month that we do is people telling their story. And the reason that we do that is because we just think that there is a power in somebody's story when they talk about the past of where they've been of what their life was like before Jesus and the life change that happens when they're in Christ. And so many of you, you have those stories. You have the story of what you once were, of who you used to be. And it is God doing his work in you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want to pray for you, but I, I would guess that there are some of you who have been in Christ for a long time, and you are still being dictated by all the rules that you're trying to follow rather than this relationship that gives you freedom. Not freedom just to walk back into the old sin, but freedom to be released from your past. And I think there's also some people here who are not yet in Christ. You're not in Christ yet, but maybe you're ready. Maybe you're ready to finally surrender to Jesus. And so I want to pray. 
And maybe it is you just beginning to talk to God about wherever you are in your life. To be able to, to realize that there is now no condemnation for me when I'm in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the promise that we have through Jesus. That it's not because we follow all the rules. It's because of what Jesus did, what we were powerless to do, you did. And that sin is no longer our master. That when we are in Christ, Christ is in us. It's the Holy Spirit working in us. And God, there, right now, there are some people in here who have been believers for years. But they're still living under the guilt of the past. And it's beginning to let that go. God, I know that there are others who are ready to start a relationship with Jesus. And today's their day. Today's their day to finally surrender, to, to be in Christ. So God, I pray for the courage for them today to start a relationship with Jesus. God, we thank you that there is now no condemnation for us because of Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.